Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. In much less detail, the podcast where we cut through the noise and give you your NFL breakdown in much less detail. Here are your hosts. Jay and Dre. Yep, you got us. Welcome to In Much Less Detail, the podcast, getting ready for week two in the NFL here with you live on a Saturday night, September the 16th, 2017. I'm Dre, he's Jay, getting ready for overreaction theater because that's how it works. Week one in the NFL, you get the results, you break it down, you figure it out, and you go, okay. This team must really suck, and this team must be really great, and we have to completely overreact, and that's going to influence our picks for week two. We really try hard not to let that happen, but we're going to see how we both see week two tonight. Uh, The big sports media story of the week, the Jamel Hill situation, if anyone is waiting for our opinions on that, I got opinions. We're going to have to wait till the after show for that. We got too many hot picks. We got a full slate this week, all 16 games. First one already played Thursday night, of course. The ugh, one, of the one of the uglier games that you will see in quite a while. The uh, Texans come out on top of the Bengals. Uh, Jason said on the last show when making that pick that one team might be so bad that they don't play the national anthem for them. Uh, before games anymore they might just play taps Uh, and so that's uh, with that in mind we have to go there we're actually there's a person to play it for there's an actual uh, Ken Zampezi gets the gets the the gun between the head so to speak Uh, that 0-2 start for the Bengals he's out as offensive coordinator uh Bill Lazor takes over, and I don't know how much better that's going to do, but something had to happen, Jason. I guess you're playing so bad. Somebody had to take the fall, and unfortunately, it's Mr. Zampezi. Everybody take off your hats and, and bow your heads in a moment of silence. Good use of the music there. I like that. I like that a lot. I have a feeling that won't be the last time we play that on this show. <laughs> Um, that game made me so mad. I actually used Twitter something, something really has to happen to shake me up into the, and and knock me into the Twitter sphere. And boy, that game was it. That was just a continuation of all the crap I talked about from week one. What a shit fest. I mean, we better have better games tomorrow. Otherwise I'm going to really start wondering about the quality of what we're starting to see out there on NFL field. That was horrendous football. I mean, somebody, somebody had to win that game. I mean, you can't, I mean, can the, okay. The Texans, I know that you last week, your mantra was, well, you can only beat who's in front of you, but Oh, how do you feel even good about that? I mean, we could even have the Bengals. We could almost be in mail it in territory here. It looked They're trying that to avoid bad. that, aren't they? It really you fire a, a, you, know, yeah. you fire a coordinator two weeks into the season, you're trying to avoid your team completely tanking and going into mail-it-in mode very early. That's what they're trying to, to not have happen. Yeah. 
and I'm not sensing a major shakeup here. Let's let's just be real. The next game that the Bengals play, they play the Packers. Uh-oh. And this could be 0-3 very quickly. And I, I think that we might be playing that song again here for Marvin Lewis very <laughs> soon. How long are they going to put up with this guy? I mean, he looked checked out. The team looks checked out. That That was just... I can't say anything positive about the Texans because I don't know what the hell I was watching on Thursday night. I can't ever get that time of my life back. <laughs> and I desperately want that back. As I mean, I could do, could have done so many better things with the time that I spent watching that game. It it was painful. I mean, the Texans did nothing. The, 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 the Bengals did even less. They did less than nothing. So, yeah, I can imagine getting your OC fired. I mean, it makes sense, but it really just feels like sort of the first domino to fall. And I really do get the sense that we're going to see the Bengals uh, blown up here, you know, after this season. But you don't start 0-2 losing your first two home games with nine points to your name and have anything good to say about it. That is, for the amount of talent on that team, that is embarrassing. I couldn't imagine being a Bengals fan right now. That, that's got to be a really tough feeling. They might have paper bags out in their on their heads by the time this season's over. Oh, um, you know, yeah. In all fairness, those, man. In all fairness, what we were watching partially was a, a dominant Bengals run defense. Texans couldn't get anything going on the ground, and a dominant Texans pass rush. Andy Dalton wasn't very accurate at all, of course, but he didn't really have too much time when he did drop back. Uh, so it was a very good defensive performances. I'm not going to call either one of those teams the 85 Bears, but it was tough sledding for both offenses, tough sledding yeah. for both quarterbacks. Uh, and at the same time, they weren't playing very well. Uh, Deshaun Watson looked really jittery early, bad throws on quick hitters, uh, almost throwing interceptions on those very quick passes, those two, three-step drops right to defensive backs. Pac-Man Jones almost had one he should have taken into the end zone. Uh, and then on the other side, you know, Andy Dalton got some help. Not a lot of help, but he got a little help. He had uh, – there's one play I remember Joe Mixon uh, faked out J.J. Watt, just completely juked him on a play where he may have lost yardage, and Dalton took the – Next two plays after that, you should be building on that and took the next two throws, just fired them way over everybody's head. It was, it was an awful quarterback play. It was brutal. It was a, as bad as it gets just about. And the game, of course, gets won because of the one thing that one quarterback on that field can do that the other one can't, which is Deshaun Watson on third down, pulling it down and dancing through everybody for a 49-yard touchdown. And that winds up being the uh, winning margin in the game. And really, there was nothing else to to really build on as far as either quarterback play. That was it. That was the entire game was that one running play, and everything else just was was just horrible. Yeah, and if Deshaun Watson, if he doesn't improve his situational awareness and puts himself at risk of taking many more hits like the ones that Geno Atkins was laying him out on, uh, he's not going to last very long either. Gino, Ag- I mean, I will give, I would ba- we, we bag on the officials all the time. I was stunned and pleasantly surprised that the refs did not throw the flag on that sack 
of Deshaun Watson because it looked so violent. And we've gotten to this point in the NFL where if it even just looks violent, it doesn't matter whether it was a penalty or not. They just instinctively throw the flag if anything looks more violent than it should be. And what you saw was uh, Deshaun Watson jump into the air and Geno Atkins just pretty much just run through him with his hands extended, but pushed him you know, pretty much off the screen almost. And, and that lift <laughs> that he laid on him. And I was just, I watched the highlights of that. I saw it happen. And I am still amazed that we did not get some sort of concocted penalty on that play. And which, when you watch it, especially when you watch it in slow-mo, you realize that it was a completely legitimate, clean hit and a quarterback who put himself in extreme danger <laughs> right in front of that rush. So, yes, a rookie mistake, but he's going to have to improve uh, his awareness a little bit there. The, the Madden code for that is AWR. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He needs to to improve that a little bit. Otherwise, he is. we're going to be seeing Tom Savage again here real soon. Oh, they don't want that. Oh, God, they don't want that. Uh, <laughs> oh, God, Tom Savage. <laughs> uh, that hit with authority from Atkins was actually the play before Watson pulled yeah. it down and scored the touchdown. He learned. So, uh, At least he learned he, his lesson there. He learned to avoid. He wasn't trying to score a touchdown. He was trying to avoid getting the shit knocked out of himself. That's he all was he was running trying to for his life. Yes. And it worked, and it won the game, as it turned out. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that, that was that was brutal. That was some brutal football. There's no doubt about it. And we can't even blame it on Thursday night because it was uh, – you're only, they only played one game. The, the short week shouldn't have affected them quite that much. It's, they're just bad right now. Both teams are just bad at football on the offensive side. And we'll see if they have any improvement in the future. Obviously, I'm riding on the Texans improving because, again, that's my AFC championship pick. That's my team. I got to ride with them. Um, I don't know how far they're going with Deshaun Watson, uh, but hey, he looked better than Tom Savage, I guess. Yeah, let's not talk about that game anymore. That's not high praise. Okay, live show, week two picks coming up. If you want to listen to the after show after we're done with the live portion of the program, there's several ways you can do that. Subscribe uh, on your Apple device. Subscribe to the In Much Less Detail podcast. Or go to the TuneIn app or MixCloud or Player.fm or Blueberry. Or you can always come back here to the live show page and look through our archives for any of the 230-some-odd shows that we've done. Every show that we've done is up there. We don't delete shows. We don't tape something later and try to clean it up and play it. Every show we do is live and immediately captured for everybody to hear for eternity, no matter how terrible it may sound. Our show page, of course blogtalkradio.com slash in much less detail. That's the only place you can listen live. All our picks are going to be up on the blog after the live show is over. Our blog site is in much less detail.blogspot.com. Jason is trying to tweet a little more, which is always good. He is on Twitter at IMLDJTG. I am on Twitter at IMLDDre. You can always send us a note by email. Send that to in much less detail at gmail.com. On to overreaction theater and week number two in the NFL. Our first highlight game takes us down to Nolens, where Drew Brees and the Saints get ready to host Tom Brady and the Patriots in a scintillating battle of 0-1 teams. And we're highlighting this. Uh, this is pretty much my call. Jason was kind of surprised that I brought it up. But look, I don't know how many times we're going to get to talk about the Saints. We 
This is Drew Brees. This is a Hall of Fame quarterback. This is a battle of Hall of Fame quarterbacks. It's an all-timer. Brees has led the league in passing the last couple of years. He seems like he's not aging. Everyone talks about Tom Brady's not aging. Drew Brees doesn't seem to be aging either, but it's clear the, the coaching and the talent around Drew Brees, he's not ever getting another ring. It would certainly seem to me. Um, and who knows how long the Saints will last this season. So this may be our last chance getting to uh, highlight and talk about the Saints. And this is the matchup we should do it in because this is, again, an all-timer when you talk about Tom Brady versus Drew Brees, Hall of Fame quarterbacks matching up with each other. But they both are coming off losses in week one of the season. However, the public has a lot more faith in the Patriots' ability to bounce back because Tom Brady and the Patriots are six point road favorites new england minus six at new orleans jason who you got as interesting as the overreaction theater between you know and the pundits and all that is also some of the overreaction theater or some similar of the sort of what we get in the, the lines and in the betting public i saw nothing last week from either one of these teams that would make me think that the Patriots deserve at all to be a six point favorite. So it's all, it's almost like what happened last week. They just wiped it from their minds and they pretend like it didn't happen. So we're just going to revert back to this, this mythology of, of the Patriots are amazing and the saints are one of the worst defensive teams in the league. I think both of these teams are going to end up being two of the worst defensive teams in the league this year. When we saw the Patriots get done to them by Alex Smith, especially after Dante Hightower went out last week and he ain't coming back. Uh, Doesn't give me a whole lot of, doesn't give me a whole lot of faith in that defense. And we know how bad the new Orleans saints defense is. So I'm guessing I'm saying I like the over this week (laughs) Um, that, that the Patriots offense did score 27 points last week. Don't don't get me wrong. Um, at home, they, they, that game got away from them late. It was a competitive game. Uh, you know they were winning going into the fourth quarter, so that's a positive here for the Patriots. And then for the Saints, all they were able to do was eke out you know four field goals and a garbage time touchdown uh, that hurt you and your fantasies league last week I know but a garbage time touchdown nonetheless against a stellar Minnesota defense so I I think that we're going to have a lot of offense out on the field this week and I mean just for that reason when I'm looking at a shootout I trust the home team here more in a shootout I'm not going to be all on board with the Patriots getting wounded the way they did losing basically the the heart and soul of their defense and Dante Hightower and still having this sort of mishmash of wide receiver weapons that are out there, all of these guys that they're missing, you know, Edelman's gone, you know, Amendola's beat up. I mean, we've got that, that, uh, yeah, look at this, Danny Amendola out, Matthew Slater out, Malcolm Mitchell hurt, but questionable with a, he's got a bad knee. So how effective is he going to be? I don't like, what the Patriots are doing. That timing of Tom Brady's is completely off. Now, I think he's going to not have to, you know, have as much pressure on him with the Saints defense, but the Saints can do anything, get the crowd into it, you know, let Drew Brees start picking apart that completely depleted New England team. I think I trust the Saints on this pick more um, and wouldn't be surprised if they were able to pull out a victory. 
Um, although eh, I think I'm more going with the narrative here of I think that the Patriots can win this game and I'm just going to be taking the points. But it doesn't matter. I just need them to cover the spread. So I'm That's taking the right. Yeah, there's uh, it's funny about Amendola. Well, not funny, but uh, everyone talking about who's going to replace the, the Julian Edelman production in the slot and Amendola basically got the first crack at it. A lot of people thinking maybe Chris Hogan would get the first crack. And Amendola does a very admirable job in that first game uh, of sort of filling the Julian Edelman role. And shocker, amazing. Guess what happens? Danny Amendola gets jacked up. This is what happens to Danny Amendola. That's why he's not reliable. So, yes, he's out for this game. Uh, you already mentioned Dante Hightower out. Uh However, for New Orleans, the injuries tell a little bit of a story. There are two teams, and I'll give this pick away and then the other pick maybe a little bit as well, but there are two teams that have very beat up offensive tackles on both sides of, of, of the line. Uh, in the Saints' case, they're both out, and in the other team's case, they're both very beat up and, and questionable. I'm just not going to pick any team that's got both tackles already hurt this early in the season and both teams already have protection issues. And the Saints are one of those teams that have protection issues and Teron Armstead and Zach Streif are both going to miss tomorrow's game along with Willie uh, Willie Sneed, their slot receiver, once again, is going to be out due to suspension. Uh, there's a couple of other factors as well that would make me lean towards New England. New England on a long week plus New Orleans on a short week. New Orleans played Monday night. New England opened the season on Thursday night plus the D coordinator for the Patriots, Matt, Matt Patricia, getting together with Bill Belichick on that long week and trying to scheme up the defense to do something. I just do not believe that they're going to let that Patriots defense play the way they played and not have something coming into New Orleans, something different for Drew Brees. They cannot let that performance last Thursday night against the Chiefs. They can't let that stand and just say, well, that's who we have on defense and there's nothing we can do about it. They're going to scheme something up. I don't know what, but they're going to come up with something. They have to do something. They have the long week to get ready for it. Brady also had time on the long week to work with his new targets Brandon Cooks, of course, the much ballyhooed acquisition, and they're coming right back into New Orleans. So Brandon Cooks gets to show his old team what he's made of, and you know Tom Brady is going to do his best to make sure Brandon Cooks looks good down in New Orleans coming back home. Uh, And they need to work with their targets. Brady needs to work with his targets because of of Amendola being out. He's got to get on the same page with these guys in a hurry or else they really will be at risk of going 0-2. But I'm just going with the, I guess, Patriot way and the the romance of Bill Belichick coming off of big losses. I remember uh, uh, the last time he got his ass kicked by the Chiefs, it was on the Cincinnati and, you know, just focused and, you know, got to do what we got to do. I'm sure it was on the New Orleans as soon as that Kansas City Chiefs game was over. Uh, Patriots 8-0 and on the road last year. Saints only 4-4 and at home. I, I know I did not pick the Patriots to win the Super Bowl, to get back to the Super Bowl this year, and neither did you. 
but we both we do both still have them winning the division. We do both still think they're a very good team. Obviously, they're one of the best teams in the league. This is a spot for a team historically like the Patriots that sort of wipes the blood off of their mouth after big losses and comes back and, and sort of storms on the other team, whoever the next opponent happens to be. And the Saints defense, I think they can be stormed on. <laughs> they, I think they proved on Monday night they can still, whatever improvements they may have made in the offseason, the Saints can be stormed on. And I just got one of those feelings. I got one of those 20-point ass-kicking feelings uh, from Tom Brady and the Patriots tomorrow. I am taking New England and giving the six. Well, and that's not, and that's not like it's a silly pick or a bad pick. This is week two. We neither one of us really have any idea. This is the the tough one. Uh, we've always said that you're trying what is real and what is illusion, and I think we're trying to figure that out. No, absolutely not a. It's not a bad pick on your part. We happen to disagree on this one, but you're going with more of the history. You trust the Patriots and the Patriot way, and that's what it's all about. Where. After what I saw last week, what happened to them at home, I mean, everything ends, <laughs> you know, all, all <laughs> things eventually, you know, do end, <laughs> you know, even, you know, what did Mike Dicka say? This, this too shall pass. And I don't know, are we, are we looking at the, the passing of the Patriots, you know, now, now that they, they, they pulled off the miracle feat and did what they did last year. <laughs> You know, maybe, like I said, I, I keep calling this the bridge too far season for Tom Brady. And it's it, it's if it does end up ending badly here for them this week in New Orleans and they're and they're facing 0-2 with Brady. Uh, and, and if their defense gets embarrassed again, it, they could be for an interesting long season in New England. At least, you know, definitely be noteworthy and newsworthy. I think it's either way tomorrow is going to be entertaining to watch how that one turns yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad uh, because the Packers because uh, the Packers play tomorrow night. Uh, I'm getting Red Zone Channel all day tomorrow. I'm going to be loving this action tomorrow. There you go. IMLD brought to you by Red Zone Channel. I'm kidding. That's that's not a paid endorsement. Absolutely. Not. <laughs> we endorse enough shit on this show. No kidding. They don't need one though. I don't think the NFL Red Zone Channel <laughs> needs any endorsements. They're very, very popular. That's that's for sure. Uh, our second highlight game will go up to the Steel City. Speaking of very popular, uh, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers, of course, one of the most popular teams in the league, uh, getting ready to host the Minnesota Vikings. Now, here's two teams coming off of uh, victories, but the Steelers maybe not as impressive, letting the Browns hang around. And the Vikings, of course, with Sam Bradford, just stunning everybody with how impressive they were. However, Sam Bradford's got a knee problem. He's been playing with a with a bum knee all week. Uh, it was even thought, speculated, maybe he wouldn't be able to make this start, but it, it looks like he's going to be out there. His mobility, not that he ever had a whole lot of it, but it looks like it'll be even more limited tomorrow. Uh, for Pittsburgh, Stefan Tuitt has a biceps injury. He's going to give it a go. Uh, the Steelers, of course, always home favorites pretty much against any team that comes in there when Big Ben and all those weapons are healthy. So the Vikings, despite that very, very impressive outing on Monday night, find themselves six-point underdogs going into Pittsburgh. And I thought long and hard about this one. Uh, I think uh, I thought an upset might be brewing when I sat down to sort of break this down because Pittsburgh offense – in that game against the Brown, out against the Browns outside of Antonio Brown, 
that offense was very lacking. Uh, Le'Veon Bell looked like he was asleep. Ben Roethlisberger couldn't really get on the same page with his other weapons yet. Uh, Minnesota offense clicking extremely well, of course, in that Monday night victory. Uh, all the makings there for, for maybe the Steelers getting knocked off at home. Uh, but Bradford's knee sort of gives me a little bit of pause because I don't know if he's going to be able to stand up to a, a Steelers pass rush the entire game. They're going to come. The Steelers do come on defense. We know that they have that working for them, that front seven will get after you. And I think the Steelers, uh, similar to the Patriots, have that history going for them that when they don't play the way they need to play, uh, Mike Tomlin can get up in your ass a little bit, and they can turn it around very quickly. So the Steelers coming back home, uh, hosting the Vikings, I got that feeling of Le'Veon Bell rebounding, not having nearly as bad of a game as he did against the Browns. I have Big Ben going for about 300 yards on the Vikings defense, which can be very good at times. But uh, if Roethlisberger is hooking up with Antonio Brown, that's already taken care of. That connection has been made. All he has to do is find one of his other many weapons and and get them going as well. And all of a sudden, what are you going to do to that offense? You got to cover Le'Veon Bell. You got to cover a couple of different receivers. That offense is right there, ready to break out. I'm going to pick the Steelers and give the six points. I think they're ready to sort of rebound. And I think the the Vikings maybe played like almost as good a game as they could have played. It was almost like a, a perfect game uh, when you think about how well they played on both sides of the ball. And I guess I don't trust them to have that kind of effort every single week. I think they're going to fall back a little bit. And I think the Steelers play better than they have. And, and it's a little surprising the public made them a six-point favorite because they almost let the Browns hang around and beat them, and yet people still believe, of course, in the Steelers. And I, I, I understand. I, the Steelers are so dangerous. I believe in them, too. I'm going to take them and give the six over the Vikings. I like this. A little more high drama this week. I'm going to go opposite you here again. I'm going to take the Minnesota Vikings and the six points. So, you know, clearly in, you know, in, in both situations here, um, I'm rolling with the six-point dog here so far. One at, one at home and one on the road. I liked what I saw a lot out of the Minnesota Vikings. And the recipe for what I look for, for what I want out of a road team with the Vikings is clearly there. They can run the ball. Dalvin Cook showed that last week. He ran the ball extremely well. Now, granted, it was against the Saints, um, but I really liked what I saw out of them in the ground game, which really just it did help um, – especially late when they were looking to ice that game away, um, you know, against the Saints that they were able to just run and grind that out, not really let the Saints get the traction to get back in the game with that explosive offense, uh, which Pittsburgh also has. So I think Minnesota can grind this thing down to a halt if they want to, and they play a lot of defense. I mean, let's, let, let's you know, we can't really be too shy about this. The Minnesota Vikings have a far superior defense to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, the Steelers, especially in the back end. I mean, they can get after the quarterback, and that does worry me about Sam Bradford with the knee. But if he's, as long as he's able to stay out there and stay upright, he's going to be able to do the check downs, I think, enough to negate that pass rush. Um, and we know he's capable of doing that. We, we know that they, they can literally pull everything in close, check downs, and if they can match in the running game, maybe that will open up some a little bit longer passing lanes for him and let him get the ball down the field better. So I do like the Vikings to stay close in this game. I don't really 
I don't look at the Vikings as a blowout potential team. I mean, it could happen. I mean, we'd be, you never know in the NFL what could happen. I mean, I could say that, and then the you know Steelers go out and win, you know, like forty-one to ten. But I just don't. I don't get that sense from this Vikings team. I think they really are primed for a uh, a big breakout season here this year. And uh, I'm not really looking so much at what Pittsburgh had happen with Cleveland hanging around last last week because we talked a little bit in the last show about Cleveland and that hang around ability that they just seem to possess. Um, and they showed a lot of that last week, of course, in a defeat, that that's the, that, that's not the point. They're not there to win the games. They're just there to hang around. That's what they do. They just kind of, they're just there. And they, they did equip themselves very well against the Steelers. So I, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take the points in this game. I see this one being fairly close. The Browns don't play to win the game. I guess I can't play the Herm Edwards there. No, um, no, they play to stay close. I guess I'm just a little afraid of, uh, you know, how Bradford completed all those checkdowns and whatnot last year yep. to the tune of about 4.3 yards per completion or something really small. Um, with the Steelers uh, really being faster and getting after with their pass rush, I, I, I fear a, a revert back to one of those type of games for Bradford where he does beat the blitz and check it down, but his, his targets only gain two or three yards at a time. I've just I've got that feeling this is going to be one of those time of possession kind of games where I'm not really looking. I mean, if if this if the Steelers get up big early, it's over because I don't think that the Vikings are a team that's built for comebacks. So I really am looking at them to try and just get this thing into the fourth. Play the Chiefs' way, just get it into the fourth quarter and and roll the roll the dice and take the chances. And it seems like we're going to see a lot of that out of the Vikings here. But I, I I like them this year. I've got them within the division, so I might as well roll with the team that. I've put some faith in. There you go. Our third highlight game will go out to the Mile High City. Dallas Cowboys, America's team, visiting the Denver Broncos. Dak Prescott versus Trevor Simeon. Who saw that quarterback matchup coming a year ago? Not me. But here we are. And the Cowboys coming off of a whooping on Sunday night over over the New York Giants. And the Broncos coming off of their uh, victory on Monday night against the Chargers that they had to sort of hold on to win that game. So Denver on a little bit of a short week. Dallas looked impressive. Ezekiel Elliott is is doing his thing once again. A little bit of a surprise, though. I didn't know they would be favored going into the Mile High City. But the Cowboys are giving two and a half. Dallas minus two and a half at Denver. Jason, what's your pick? I think this is another one, just like with New England, where it's the betting public just is going to have their favorites. And, you know, you're clearly seeing some some homerism and some money overall going, you know, it's America's team. And they're going to, you know, we're going to blind. You know, they, they beat the Giants and everything. All that matters is the NFC East. So we are going to sit the Denver Broncos, an extremely good team and one of the best defenses in football. Well, why not? We're just going to sit them as underdogs in their home stadium here, a place where they very rarely ever lose. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not buying it. I'm going to take the Denver Broncos to just straight up win this game. Um, I know that and then you start to see all the stats trying to seed the mentality this week. You see the bottom line on NFL Network or on ESPN, all Dak Prescott's undefeated against top 10 defenses. Well, he's, he started for all of one year. In a year before that they went 13-3, and three, you know, so, so let's let's not start throwing around anything like that 
just yet. Uh, this is a completely different animal. Denver in mile high, you know, he's get to, gets to go up against the, the no fly zone or whatever they want to call themselves. Which, you know, once they start giving up big plays, you can, you know, uh, I'll, I'll crap all over that one. Just like I did with the, the Legion of room over in <laughs> Seattle, every time they give up, uh, you know, have a big passing game again. So I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure I'll, you know, come up with something for that one eventually. Um, but no, I, I think that Denver, they have the recipe as well. They're a good team. Um, I, you know, Dallas is still, you still have a quarterback that is young. They have mediocre defense at best. It's not a phenomenal defensive team. They're, they're big. The big thing that they have is the running game and that offensive line. And they will, I'm sure they'll be able to make gains. And I'm sure this isn't going to be blowout territory. But I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take the Denver Broncos at home in a tight one. Dallas has some injuries on their defense as well. Orlando Scandrick will miss the game. Byron Jones has a groin injury. Uh, Broncos are, of course, relying on the run. They're trying to hit the uh, C.J. Anderson, Jamal Charles daily double. And uh, I, I like that move in free agency, picking up Jamal Charles. And through one week, it looked pretty good. So they're going to try to do that again. And the Cowboys, it's a fascinating test for Dallas on both sides of the ball to me because can the defense repeat its dominance that it had against the Giants' run game? The Giants didn't have a run game at all against the Cowboys. But now here's Anderson and Charles for Denver, and, and let's see what Dallas does against them. And then on the other side, Dak Prescott and that up-tempo Cowboys offense that I was kind of surprised by that they're – going so fast or really trying to catch defenses off guard, trying to uh, keep their personnel on the field and not let the defense sub out and, and make adjustments, trying to wear them out and gas them out. Can that up-tempo D perform against the, the Denver Broncos defense? Of course, the number one pass defense in the league last year. The the stats are there. The, the Broncos will hunt you down. They, have, they still have Von Miller out there, even though they've got so many pass rushers that they lost from last year. Shane Ray is hurt and DeMarcus Ware is no longer there. Uh, but they still have Von Miller, and that might be all you need uh, in what I think is going to be a low-scoring sort of tug-of-war type game. I'm also going to take the Broncos uh, with the two-and-a-half points. I, I, I'm not going to get cute and say that they're going to lose and cover. I do think the Broncos will win, but it will be a, a tight game. It will not be a blowout Either way, I can't imagine either team blowing each other out. But in a in a slowdown game where uh, Zeke Elliott may sort of meet his match in the run game, where Anderson and Charles can team up to sort of equal the production that Ezekiel Elliott does, uh, at that point you're left with the, the passing offenses. And as much as I don't really think Trevor Simeon is all that, I don't know if I trust Ezekiel Elliott to get it done against the Broncos defense. Uh, Elliott and Bryant do not have that special connection right now. I'm not saying it's never going to come, but they don't have games. You know, Eli Manning, when Odell Beckham is healthy, they just get together and, and Odell's got that catch radius and he just makes everything happen. And Des Bryant, I don't think is a worse wide receiver than Odell Beckham Jr. I've watched them both play, you know, quite a few. I watched Des Bryant all these years and Odell Beckham, the, the three years that he's been in the league. I think Des Bryant can do what Odell Beckham 
does. I think there's some things that Beckham can do that Bryant can't, and but vice versa as well. And it just doesn't click with uh, with Des Bryant and and Dak Prescott, not quite yet. And in this matchup against the Broncos, I don't see it clicking either, especially on the road. Uh, so I will agree with you on this one and take the better defense, which would be the Broncos. Now we finally agree on one. That's good. Moving on to our fourth highlight game, the main event of the weekend, as far as I'm concerned, this should be a good one. The Packers are opening up the Atlanta Falcons new stadium, Green Bay 1-0, knocking off the Seahawks at home after managing to score zero points in the first half, coming back and knocking off the Seahawks, which is in a way almost more impressive than if they would have just put up 35 on them. Uh, Meanwhile, the Falcons looked like they hadn't really missed much of a beat going into Chicago and and finding a way to win, even though, of course, the Bears had their chances at the end of the game to beat the Falcons. But as far as the offensive drop-off that I and a lot of other people are predicting for the Falcons, didn't quite happen last week. They still look like they they got it going on on offense. They're not ready to pack it in just yet. So Matty Ice and the Dirty Birds – down in Atlanta, opening up the new stadium. What is the name of that stadium? You, you being That's, a Falcons uh, fan, Mer- Mercedes Benz Stadium. That, isn't that the? Isn't that what the Superdome is? Isn't that the Mercedes Benz Superdome? Is that so? They're just Mercedes Benz is just going to sponsor every stadium in the South. Is that? Is that what's they're happening? They're just. They're just. Yeah. They're just. They're just whoring out. Don't. Don't you drive a Mercedes? I would like to. I would. I, I've heard it's a very good ride, and I would love the yeah. opportunity to try that out. Well, you know, from if the podcast keeps monetizing at its current rate, you'll have a Mercedes in about four thousand years. <laughs> uh, well, I'll have half a Mercedes. You'll have the other half, so we'll get to share. Yeah, it, uh, that's right. In, in the year, in the year sixty-two hundred. <laughs> that's right. Uh, the Falcons are the cop-out home team, three-point favorite at home, opening up the new stadium against the Packers. So, they, so the retractable dome or whatever it is that weighs four million tons, apparently. Uh, what I heard is it's going to be open for the for the Sunday nighters, so that should be fun. Uh, seeing the Falcons in an open air environment that's new, that's something that we haven't seen. Uh, their old stadium when they when the franchise first started was that open air? That was Fulton County Stadium. Oh, okay. They played in uh, Fulton County. Yeah, uh, up but until ninety one, Fulton County. Yeah, ninety one was when they opened up the Georgia Dome. So up until ninety one, that was from sixty six to ninety one. They were uh, an outdoor. They played it outdoors. Yeah, I remember watching Falcons games in Fulton County. You know, they were playing in Fulton County Stadium. So yeah, the last twenty. Some years were in the Georgia Dome, and now they're in the Mercedes-Benz Field. Beautiful stadium, so, though. I was I was there in January for the NFC Championship game, and you know you were you, it was it, the final touches were sort of being put on it right there next to the Georgia Dome. The Georgia Dome was not a tiny building, and the new stadium made the Georgia Dome look tiny. I mean, it really made it look puny. It's a, it's a, it's an impressive looking piece of architecture. Um, but very open inside. Yeah, I, I'm excited to 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 see uh, to go down there and see that in person someday. 
uh, open roof, loud crowd down at, well, it, it is Atlanta, so maybe not so loud a, a crowd, but I'm sure they'll be pretty loud for the opener. I'm sure they'll be hyped up yeah. for it. And they got the Packers, which is a very good rival, sort of a rivalry game. Yeah, they I do mean, tend uh, to, they do have a little history with each other. But more more than you'd think for out of out of division foes, they do seem to to get after it against each other quite often. Well, the game they played a couple of years ago was your game of the year. Was that uh, or was it mine? Actually, I think it was mine. Um, the couple of years ago, the Packers uh, went down to the Georgia Dome and played the Falcons. It was one of those back and forth affairs, and Aaron Rodgers was feeling himself and doing the discount double check and thinking he had it wrapped up. And Matty Ice said, "Hold my beer, I got this," because he's Matty Ice and he's so cool about it. And went and, and won the game late and. They had the sort of a rematch in the playoffs last year, and that wasn't nearly as back and forth because the Packers' defense was on its last legs, and the Falcons just blew their doors off. So, uh, but this one, hey, the Falcons' offense is not quite what it was. It may not be dying off yet, but it is not clicking at the level that it was in the NFC uh, Championship game last year. So, that's the the big question: Will the Falcons have enough offense to hold off Aaron Rodgers and the Packers? Can the Packers sort of rebound from the slow, sluggish start that they got against the Seahawks? Can they find their footing? Uh, these two teams have a, a great game every now and then. A couple of years ago, maybe this would be another one. I think it will be tight. This ain't the same offense, but uh, I, I talked earlier about teams that have issues with their offensive line, with, with their tackles. The Packers already – have both offensive tackles, David Bakhtiari and Brian Bulaga, uh, banged up. They're both iffy for this game. And we saw what the Packers' offensive line was offering as far as protection goes against the Seahawks. Not much. Now they're going to go to the Atlanta Falcons and Dan Quinn's defense, which is predatory and made up of guys that are just trying to fly upfield and knock your head off. Doesn't sit well with me. And also, uh, I think that's going to wind up deciding the game uh, this time. It's not going to be the Falcons offense necessarily going crazy up top. I think it's going to be the hurt Green Bay offensive line, allowing the Atlanta pass rush to come in and, and close out the game late and decide it uh, in a, in a tight one and maybe more low scoring than people would think. I'm going to take the Falcons and I'm going to give the three points. I'm going to put it on the defense this time, not the offense to get the win for Atlanta. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on this one. You know, one of the things that we didn't talk about last week that got talked about during the broadcast of that Atlanta-Chicago game, and you saw in a lot of the highlights, was the horrible field conditions at Soldier Field. And I'm not entirely that's convinced. Every that it, year. But I'm not every entirely convinced. Feel this shit. I'm oh. not convinced it wasn't intentional. Because if you're <laughs> going to slow down the highest flying offense, one of the highest flying offenses in history, you know what you do? Let your field turn, turn it into a mutter kind of game. And I will say, in that game, the Falcons just, I was watching that game. They looked so slow. And I'm like, what team is this? And now I'm thinking, you know what? It's not going to be like this in their home stadium, in the You're dome. Slipping on every other on play? The, no, on the fast track and, and, and sort of letting that thing hang out there again. And again, against a team that they owned quite thoroughly last year, they are not afraid of Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. Uh, I don't think that they are worried about the mystique or anything like that. That Packers defensive uh, defense is terrible. 
they Mike Daniels is also nicked up, and he was their big, their biggest pass rush last week. The back end is atrocious, and their offensive line, like you said, their tackles are hurt. Um, and it, it, the, the the Falcons defense isn't great, but if I have to take which defense do I like better in this game, I definitely like the Falcons defense just because you're going to have Vic Beasley and Tack McKinley, and you you know they're and they have Desmond Trufant back. I think they're going to be able to do enough uh, defensively to disrupt Aaron Rodgers and uh, and and get away with the win here. Uh, this one it doesn't feel like the blowout that we got in the NFC Championship game. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked with a double-digit result here. So I'm going to uh, go along with you, and I'm going to take the Falcons to open up the new stadium. Uh, should be a good one. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I love that we get this as a primetime matchup tomorrow. That'll be a lot of fun. And now the rest of Week 2 in the NFL in even more or less detail go to the AFC North, where the Cleveland Browns in the Art Modell Bowl going back up to Baltimore, the original place of the franchise's birth. The only one Browns visiting the one and O Ravens, although that one and O that that didn't impress me all that much. I don't know about you, but the Brownies seven and a hook, seven and a half point dogs. The dogs are dogs at Baltimore. I saw enough out of Cleveland last week to think that they do have some fight. There's some fight in those dogs. Ah, ah. um, See what and you I'll did go then. ahead and yeah, I'll go ahead and I'll take Cleveland. Uh, love that hook, by the way. Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's juicy. Um, I, I agree, I concur. Uh, and I'm, there's no rest for Deshaun Kaiser against the the Brown uh, or against the Ravens' pass rush. So he's uh, going to have another test on his hands after the the Pittsburgh game. Now he gets to face the Ravens, but. My problem is, can the Ravens score? It, it, I still don't think Joe Flacco is healthy. I don't know exactly what's going on there. Uh, I, I, and no Miles Garrett again for Cleveland. The, the rookie still hasn't taken the field for them, but I, I, I can't trust the Ravens right now. The way Flacco's playing, they, they may not. This is the old Ravens. They may not cover seven and a half because they may not score over seven and a half. That's right. You can't cover seven and a half if you can't score seven and a half. Uh, the Titans and the Jaguars, which I get the feeling we're going to have to highlight that later in the year when Jacksonville comes down to uh, to Nashville, because that's we both got them in the playoffs, so we both obviously like yeah. them very much. But uh, for this one, just starting off the season, we'll let them get their feet wet, and then we'll come back to them later on. Uh, but the Titans 0-1, hard-fought game against the Ra- against the Raiders last week, but they come out on a losing end, and Jacksonville. Very impressive, one and zero going down to Houston and trouncing the Texans. I don't think the public still thinks much of the Jaguars. Of course, the Titans are one point favorites on the road at the Jaguars. Yeah, and I don't, I don't mean to start the season here crapping all over my AFC South champion uh, Tennessee Titans as I predicted, but boy, that Jacksonville defense really impressed me last week. Um, and, and, and the Titans at home, even against the Raiders with a substandard defense, they just looked off. Um, I'm going to go ahead and roll with the Jags here and, and uh, roll with that defense again. Uh, you know, Jonathan Cyprian, the former Jaguar, will not be coming in to, give the, uh, to have a reunion. He's hurt. Uh, on the other side for the Jags, Jalen Ramsey, the cornerback, has an ankle injury. He's going to try to give it a go. Of course, Allen Robinson 
out for the year. But the Jags, they don't have much of a receiver core as it is, and now they're even less so uh, without Allen Robinson. This is going to be a fascinating game because the question is, to me, is the Tennessee offense and Marcus Mariota far enough along to hang with that Jacksonville defense? The, the test was last week against the Raiders. They, they tried, but they couldn't hang with the Raiders. But the difference is, of course, they don't have to hang against Derek Carr on the other side. They have to hang against Blake Bortles. I'm taking the Titans in this one. I yeah. can't imagine uh, Blake Bortles and the Jaguars hanging with uh, what Marcus Mariota, the Titans, can do. I would not be entirely shocked if the Titans won this game just because they don't want to start 0-2. But, you know, you kind of have that almost desperation feel sometimes. No doubt about that. Uh, the Eagles and the Chiefs, another interesting game. The Andy Reid Bowl is uh, – the former Philly coach uh, is hosting the Eagles. They're both one and O. They both looked very, very impressive. However, the public doesn't think much of the Eagles. They are five and a half point underdogs going into Alex Smith and the Kansas City Chiefs. And count me as one of those people who doesn't think very much of the Philadelphia Eagles either. And I was extremely impressed with the Kansas City Chiefs. I think they really stepped up into the conversation as a top, top team in the AFC with going into Foxborough and doing what they did and crapping all over the Patriots celebration. I'll go ahead and take the Chiefs here. I'm definitely uh, afraid with all the defensive injuries for the Chiefs, with uh, Eric Berry, of course, out for the year, and cornerback Steven Nelson will not play. Uh, but I'll go with the Chiefs as well. Six and two at home last year versus the Eagles. One and seven on the road, if we remember a little bit of, of the Carson Wentz magic uh, early in the season that seemed to get extinguished when he had to go take that that crap out on the road. It wasn't quite the same. Uh, the Eagles got an unprepared Redskins team in week one last week. The Chiefs will be prepared. It's Andy Reid, number one. He's against his old team, number two. And number three, they get extra rest because, of course, that whooping of the Patriots occurred on last Thursday night. So they get 10 days to get ready for this. Yeah, I'm with you. I'll roll with the Chiefs. Yeah, it's Buffalo almost and, like a bye. Yeah. Uh, Buffalo and Carolina, they're both 1-0. and oh, And yet, uh, when I talk about last week, week one, providing more questions than answers, did either one of these teams seem like a team that deserved to be 1-0? and Because oh? I wasn't quite impressed with either one of them. Uh, but there the Bills and the Panthers sit with a win already on the season. Uh, not much love for the Bills. However, they are seven-point underdogs going into Charlotte to face Cam Newton and the Panthers. Yeah, this is where it flies in the face of your you, you play who you play, you got to beat the opponent because neither one of these teams played a quality opponent last week, so you get no reading on them at all whatsoever. However... I have a lot more faith in the Carolina Panthers here at home than I do the Buffalo Bills in, in, in give up mode, right? That's what we've been hearing. They're giving up. Uh, the only, you know, they played the Jets last week, so it doesn't matter. You don't, you don't have to give up. You just have to be more talented. But the Panthers, I think, are a better team than the Buffalo Bills, and I'll take the Panthers here to cover that seven. I don't like this pick, but you got to pick one of them. I'm just hoping for a push here. Uh, I totally agree with your sentiment of you can't really get a, a read on either one of these teams because of the lack of quality of opponent from last week. So I definitely don't have a lot of confidence in this pick either. Uh, but it's a it's a big test for the Carolina ground defense uh, coming off of San Francisco. Now they get 
the Buffalo Bills and, and Tyrod Taylor and LaShawn McCoy. And I guess the big question to me, the bigger question is, is Cam Newton okay? Is, is he all right? Because he doesn't really look it. Uh, he had some throws last week, but not many. And I, I don't I don't feel good either way about this people until I see Cam is okay. And until I actually see proof that he's capable of coming anywhere near his MVP level, I'm going to be very wary of taking the Panthers, especially with a big spread like that. So I will take the Buffalo bills. I actually think they can go in and win the game. And, and that's big for me saying that because I don't like the bills at all, but can't trust cam right now. The bears and the Buccaneers in the first of two games featuring teams that, haven't played yet this year. The Buccaneers are opening their season because of missing last week due to the effects of Hurricane Irma. The Bears at 0-1 hung in there a little bit with the Falcons, came up short in the end. Chicago six and a half point underdogs going into Jameis Winston and the Bucks. Yeah, I think the Bears shot their wad last week. I think we saw everything that they were capable of putting out on the field all in one game last week. They even sprung uh, that Cohen or whatever the hell his name was, that that running back that nobody knew who the hell he was, and they sprung him on the Falcons. It still wasn't enough to win. Yeah, I like the Bucks squish. <laughs> yeah, Tariq Cohen was uh he was the fantasy god. He everyone ran yeah. and picked him up after the game. And he might actually get a lot of run tomorrow because uh Jordan Howard has a shoulder injury, so don't know how much he's gonna play. But the Bears are already so beat up. Uh, Kevin White, before the season started, Jarrell Freeman uh, last week on defense. Uh, uh, Kyle Long has been ruled out for tomorrow's game. Their best offensive lineman is not going to play. Uh, and for Tampa, you know, they better not fail in this spot with Mike Glennon coming back in. They got an extra week off uh, to get ready for Mike Glennon, specifically to prepare for him. They haven't had a game uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, no muscle hamster Doug Martin because of suspension means that Jameis should be just throwing all day, all night on the bears. I definitely have to take the Buccaneers and give the six and a half Arizona and Indianapolis. uh, A couple of teams that badly need a bounce back. So after Scott told Zine and that, uh, that whole experience, like a couple of days ago, it comes out that Chuck Pagano is, is going to put uh, our, our buddy Jack Brisket from, from New England uh, is getting uh, starters reps and is apparently going to get the call tomorrow. But he hasn't practiced fully with the first team all week. So he's going to get the call uh, in a spot where he hasn't practiced. He doesn't know his teammates. He, he basically just got there a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I don't know if that's going to work any better, uh, but the Cardinals, of course, were very unimpressive themselves. However, the public really likes them to bounce back against that terrible Colts off, uh, outfit because Arizona gives six and a half big points on the road at Indy. And we generally don't get two absolute horseshit games in a row from Carson Palmer, so I do look at him to bounce back against a dreadful Indianapolis Colts defense and the great Jake Brisket against a still good Arizona defense uh, who was really just put more on the spot last week because of all the turnovers that the offense was committing. If they tighten that up, they should blow out the Colts on the road. And Jake Brisket gets to face the Arizona blitzers. Good luck, son. (laughs) Get your life insurance paid up. Uh, What gives me pause, of course, is Arizona having to rejigger their offense now without David Johnson for probably the rest of the year. Uh, so they're 
they're going to look different, uh, might rely on Carson Palmer a little more than they want to. But, uh, yeah, the Colts probably should provide enough uh, lack of resistance for Palmer to sort of look like the old Palmer. So I will agree with you, take the Cardinals and give the six and a half. The Jets and the Raiders in the second biggest spread of the week. The Jets positively atrocious by everybody's standards are 0-1, and they are 13-point underdogs at the 1-0 Oakland Raiders. Yeah, when I saw the line, I was desperately looking for a reason to take the points, and I just couldn't find it. The Ra- I've got the Raiders ascending into that next tier, and they go out and prove it this week. I'll take the Raiders and give them all. I concur. I can't imagine Jake McCrown hanging anywhere near what Derek Carr can do and the days of the Jets defense sort of keeping everything in check seem to be uh, uh, long gone. So I will take the Raiders and give the 13 as well. Here's the second game with a team that hasn't played yet, the Miami Dolphins, but they will start out on the road against Phillip Rivers and the Chargers. Of course, Jay Cutler comes out of retirement and has to face Phillip Rivers. They're buddies. They're old best friends. They're old pals. Uh, Dolphins are three and a hook, three and a half point underdogs at the soccer stadium and the Chargers. I love taking the points here. I love that hook, but I actually like Miami to go in there and win the game straight up, and I, I think they're just the better team. Yeah, I concur. Um they they might be the better team as the season goes on, but I'm just they again. You better not fail. If you get an extra week off, you haven't played. You got all that energy built up. You better not fail going into some soccer stadium. It's going to have about fifteen thousand people. It's going to look like a White Sox game. You're going to look around and be like, "Where is everybody?" Uh, with extra week of rest versus a short week Chargers who just played on Monday night. It's all in the in the Dolphins' favor. So I will also take the Dolphins. San Francisco and Seattle, this, of course, is the biggest spread of the week. The 0-1 49ers are 14-point underdogs at the 0-1 Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, and San Fran got a sneaky cover last year in the second matchup that they had late in the season, but yeah, no, not this time. Seattle at home, after losing on the road, I think they're going to open up the whoop-ass on the 49ers here. Seahawks squish. Uh, see, I, I thought I was going to be going with you. This smells like a, I wrote down Jason special where the early Seattle struggles, particularly as bad as they're blocking oh, okay. right now. Yeah. I'm taking the points. I'm taking the 49ers and the oh. 14 points. And yeah. I may regret that very badly. Yeah. Do you know uh, why? Red- Do you know why I surprised you by not taking that? Because you did. <laughs> Yes, if I had of uh, not taken it, you would have had the 49ers. Of course. The Redskins and the Rams. Uh, Washington, bad game last week. Going two and a half point underdogs at the 1 and 0 LA Rams. Yeah, that, there's something discompobulated about that Redskins offense. They lost 2,000 yard receivers. Kirk Cousins it looks frustrated out there in the Rams defense. Hey, they're not the worst. I'll take uh, the, I was going to say Jeff Fisher, but no, I'll take the Rams <laughs> at home here. Um, and the points have a two and oh, oh my God. Yeah. Can you imagine after all the crap we talked about Jared Goff that he has two decent games yeah. in a row and he goes two and oh? I can't imagine it. I'm taking the Redskins to win. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't gotta, blame you. I got to see him do it again. I got to see that. And Monday night is the Lions and the Giants. We don't know about Odell Beckham. I guess he's supposed to actually play. 
uh, the one and oh Lions three point road dogs at the 0 and 1 Giants. Yeah, this one was tough for me. Um, you know, I figured, oh, well, wait a minute, I have to take Detroit here because they're playing a team with a losing record. And we know that the Lions <laughs> can only beat teams with losing records. But I do like that Giants defense. Um, I do like it a lot. And they need to get up and, and get a win here. Uh, I don't really think that they want to look at going 0-2. So that this feels like a Giants victory um, and pushy at the same time. I don't think this made the live portion uh, barely off the oh, air. Oh, that's fine. Uh, this is my lock of the week. The Giants look that bad without Odell Beckham. I'm taking the Lions, and I'm locking it up. And I hope Odell Beckham wow. plays and serves as a decoy so that they can really look like trash. Because he's, if he's just standing there doing nothing, the Lions will figure that out real quick and cover all those other guys that nobody knows on the Giants' offense. And I, I really like the Lions to to – knock the Giants block off uh, and hopefully wake them up because we both got them winning the uh, the NFC East. So they, they sort right. of need a wake-up call right now. And I did not give you a lock of the week. I completely did making yeah. all of the picks here. Neglected to give you my lock. And this week, I'm going to go ahead and give my lock to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I need the Bears to go down in this lock after screwing me last week <laughs> and giving me the push. Uh, good luck. Uh, two times picking against the same team for your lock. That's, that's asking for it a little bit, but we'll see if it works out for you. Uh, yeah, the Bears barely coming through last week with the push uh, messing you up. But uh, we'll, we'll see if they have any more fight this week going down to Tampa Bay. I'm I'm with you. I don't think they should uh, contend in that game. I think Jameis Winston should just throw all over them. Yeah, that is the – the Bears were able to, even when you looked at it, though, Matt Ryan, I believe, still threw for over 300 yards. Now, granted, 88 of that it was on the, the one play <laughs> that we played with Benny Hill. But he was still doing enough uh, to move that offense. But, yeah, that, that Atlanta team just looked, they, like I said, they looked slow. And then I realized, wait a minute, that was probably the fault. This is, remember, they used to, you know, the Cubs used to keep the grass higher in the infield because the, they had no range. You know, because Ryan Sandberg didn't have any range, so they kept the grass mode higher. I got the feeling that they, the grounds crew is like, hey, you know, we got the Falcons coming to town this weekend. You know, let's turn this into a, you know, a slog for them. Um, and it, it almost worked. I would not be shocked if the if that was on, on purpose. Now, I, I like the conspiracy theory in general, but as someone who pays – very close, much closer attention to the Chicago Bears than you do. I'm here to tell you that field is shit every day of the year. <laughs> that wasn't on purpose because the Falcons are coming in. That's because they don't know how to take care of the damn grass. And I don't know why it's a problem every year. They resize that grass like several times during the season. That's how bad it is. It gets so chewed up that they have to bring in brand new side every single year, twice a year during the season. It's garbage. It's it, They keep blaming the park district for it. The Bears won't take care of it because they say it's not their responsibility. It's the Chicago Park District. The park district doesn't give a rat's ass about it. And, and it's been like this forever and ever and ever. You can probably Google Bears bad turf. Hell, I'm doing, I'll am i do that right now. Bears bad turf or bear. What should I Google? Yeah. Uh, Soldier Field I want to say it wasn't uh, the worst I can ever remember. It was after, was it the World Cup? 
Oh God. When, when it was yeah, when it was when it was laughably bad, how torn up the field was. Soldier Field turf problems has one hundred and twenty six thousand results. Well, oh. that field is historically awful. It's the worst. It gets judged the worst playing service in the entire NFL on a regular basis when they do those uh, polls, when they try to figure out who's got the worst grass. It's up there every single damn year. So it wasn't about the Falcons. It was about they don't take care of their grass, and I do not know why they refuse to do that. So even if it wasn't intentional, you can sort of see my point, though, about how it was slowing that team down, and we didn't really get to see that true Atlanta offense. Right, and and we've talked about that through the years. That any time you take the Falcons, even in the in, you know four, five, six, seven years ago, if you take the Falcons off their turf and put them on grass, they seem yeah. to be a slower team. We've always talked about that. Yeah, even though you know in the last year though, when they did travel, they traveled quite well. I mean, they went up to Seattle and almost won, which is unheard of. Yeah. You know, and you know, so they did they were able to take the show on the road last year and, and equip themselves fairly well. Um, that offense yeah, that last was, year though, was like nothing we've yeah. ever seen. <laughs> no. So it'll be interesting to see what we get. If they're going to light it up, if they have something waiting for uh, Aaron Rodgers and that Packers uh, team on Sunday night, it'd be, you know, if we get more of that, what we got against the bears, I'll start to worry a little bit. Yeah, it's going to be a fun week, too. Uh, I don't know how well we're going to do picks-wise, but it's, it's going to be – hopefully we learn a lot more about some of these teams that I feel like I don't know a damn thing about, even though I've watched them in week one. So, Yeah, I think, you know, and you always get the, what we can never predict and you can't tell is you, still, you get that snapback. A team that looked amazing in week one all of a sudden comes back to earth. That team You're that right. you think, uh-oh, if, if they go to 0-2, it's over. And a lot of times those teams do stand up, you know, that's why I didn't necessarily crap all over your, your Titans pick or, you know, some of these picks where you've got teams that were 0 and one didn't look the best sort of bouncing back um, to get back to that one and one point. Yeah. But I don't, I don't feel great about them. I, I told you the picks that I really have confidence in and the ones that I really don't know which way uh, that I should go. I, I, there were quite a few picks where I was like, uh, I don't know about this. I don't know. Uh, almost flip a coin on some of these, but, uh, but I really feel like a lot of these games are going to be really tight. I've got more one score picks when I, when I've sort of, go down the list of what I'm predicting these scores to be. And, you know, it's very, very unscientific the, the way I try to decide that. But uh, just cursory glance, I think I got about nine or ten games finishing within a, a touchdown of each other. So uh, I think it's going to be a, a pretty tight week up and down. Well, and not only that, you're looking at a tight week, and then but you're also looking at, you know, 10 out of these 15 games have a spread of larger than your cop-out three. So you don't have a lot of close spreads here. You've got a lot of big numbers, a lot of sevens, 13, sixes, six and a half. There's a lot of larger numbers this week. And that's when you usually get a lot of wild results. That's right. The low spreads are towards the end of the schedule, the, the nighttime games and the those late games, uh, Ram skins and, and Cowboys Broncos. Uh, and 
of course, Tennessee Jacksonville is only one point. Everything else is pretty big. So, uh, yeah, but it's the traditional powers that are getting a lot of those big spreads. It's the Steelers and the uh, Patriots. And, of course, the anytime Seattle's at home against one of those terrible teams in their division, uh, it's going to be double digits. Uh, and, of course, the Jets look so bad that you had to make the Raiders double digits there. So that's understandable. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I, this overreaction theater is quite fascinating when you look at some of these spreads. Because I don't know under any circumstance uh, if the Colts would be that big of an underdog at home in their you know home opener uh, against Arizona. But they look so terrible against the Rams last week. They look completely overmatched. Uh, in fact, when you think about those coaches that's, that were overmatched in week one, uh, historically, the last few years, when I was going back and looking at, you know, the Chuck Paganos and uh, who else uh, was, oh, Sean Payton and the Saints were terrible the last few years. Uh, it's no surprise that, that some of these teams are such big underdogs this week after looking so terrible last week. But the question, as you said, is who's going to bounce back from that? Who's going to actually rebound and look a lot better? And, and who's going to continue to sort of pull a Cincinnati Bengals and go down the toilet train, as it were. Yeah, it's always – week two is always a curiosity. Uh, I historically can't go back and think of any one of us just killing it in week two. I mean, we've had week ones where we've killed it. In week two, you just survive. And as long as we can survive week two, I mean, I'd just like to get back to above 500. That would be a nice thing to come out of this because then you really, truly survive. If you can come out of week two above 500 and get into that soft middle of the schedule, you know, you, you can feel like you've accomplished something. Yeah, we, I, we'll go back if I remember and go look at our previous week twos, which are up there on the blog. We've been doing the blog since 2010. Uh, so all our picks are there for anybody to go back and, and look at if you want to see how our success rate is or how unsuccessful we've been at times, but pretty successful lately. But yeah, I'd be curious to go back and look at our week twos and see historically what they are. I'm guessing they're probably not very good. Yeah. No, like I said, we've had, you and I have each had some really impressive week ones. And what happens is you end up coming out of that so confident, (laughs) you know, everything. You know it all. Right. And then week two drags you right back down. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, we don't have far to get dragged back down as we're already under 500, so maybe it'll reverse itself this year. So what else you got this week? Uh, I obviously have thoughts and comments about the Jamel Hill situation. I don't know if you were aware of it or if you had any thoughts about it. I am aware. Um, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts. No. Oh. <laughs> Uh, hopefully I won't go on too long. Um, for accuracy's sake, I want to read the tweets that Jamel Hill, the uh, black female ESPN Sports Center anchor, uh, tweeted out earlier this week on actually on September 11th, uh, the evening of September 11th. She tweeted out the following: Donald Trump is a white supremacist who has largely surrounded himself with other white supremacists. The height of white privilege is being able to ignore his white supremacy because it's of no threat to you. Well, it's a threat to me. 
Trump is the most ignorant offensive president of my lifetime. His rise is a re direct result of white supremacy, period. He is unqualified and fit to be president. He is not a leader, and if he were not white, he never would have been elected. Okay, first of all, I would like to look at those statements and, and sort of examine them because that's where the, the entire firestorm starts is because she tweeted something very derogatory, very controversial about the president of the United States. And that's where it all starts. I don't see something any, uh, I don't see anything in what she tweeted that was false. And what I do, but what I do see is definitely disrespectful to the president of the United States, definitely disrespectful to the office of the president of, of the United States. Uh, it all happens to be true, unfortunately for us, but uh, so that's where I, my starting point was, was it was kind of shocking to see someone uh, who works for ESPN come out that strongly uh, saying something that we all know is true, but we don't really hear people who have those positions uh, tweet out or say things like that. And ESPN's action was to uh, not suspend her, of course, uh, but to sort of lightly reprimand, reprimand her behind the scenes and, and where she had to go uh, apologize for the distraction that she caused. And many people who are, I guess, Trump supporters or maybe not Trump supporters, but or thought that the comments were very, very disrespectful, thought that she should have been disciplined much, much harsher. Uh, and of course, uh, the press secretary thinks that uh, it's a fireable offense that she should have lost her job over saying those things. Uh, but I personally thought that I didn't say anything wrong with what she said, except that uh, the part about uh, ignorant, when you, when you call the president of the United States ignorant, no matter how ignorant he's been acting or the things that he said, uh, I can see that being over the line. And I think ESPN's actions, and I've seen, I haven't really seen anybody say that they were okay with what ESPN did one way or another. It's pretty much all either, I can't believe they reprimanded her at all. That's terrible. That's a terrible example to set for uh, anybody else who has a, a thought about uh, this president or any other president. Or, of course, on the other side, oh, my God, I can't believe that's all they did to her. I can't believe they didn't suspend her or kick her off the air. What a liberal, what a liberal uh, network ESPN must be. Uh, I don't think this is controversial for me to say, but I'll come out and say I think Jamel Hill was sort of fine in what she said. But that part about ignorant, I think ESPN was fine in their response to sort of to pull her aside and say, um, okay, cut that out. That's that's not that that's a uh, uh, that's over the line. Uh, we don't need our our talent talking about how ignorant the president is. That's just you know cut the, cut it out, cut that down. I don't have a problem at all with ESPN's response. The problem that I have is with everyone losing their shit as if this is like. Uh, I can't believe somebody would say something like that. And I, the, the other problem I have is the reports that have come out, these anonymous, there's always anonymous, it seems, the anonymous reports that ESPN reportedly wanted to pull Jamel Hill off of an episode of SportsCenter. I don't know if it was the next day after this or, or in a, a couple of days after or what. 
but I, I read that they wanted to pull her off and replace her with another black host because they didn't want to replace her with a white host because they didn't think that would look right to pull her for what she said, uh, cr criticizing a white supremacist and then pull her and replace her with a white person. That was a, that would be a bad optic as well. But the, the two black people that they asked both declined to come on because they were in solidarity with Jamel Hill. And so they wound up letting uh, Jamel Hill go back on her own show. I don't like that whole report coming out because that smells a little too convenient. That smells like ESPN trying to sort of appease the, the crazy white wingers that had a big problem with it that thought Jamel Hill should be fired or suspended or something and making it seem like, hey, look at this anonymous report that says that we really were trying to discipline her further and yank her from the show, but we just... We, we kind of pulled back and we, we decided to let her go back on the show, but we really fought hard and we thought long and hard about pulling her off her own show. That to me sounds like something that someone threw out there to make ESPN sort of look a little better. Like they were trying or thinking about disciplining her more. I don't really believe it. I, these anonymous, I, I, I always hate those anonymous stories. Just come up and say what you want to say and, and put your name behind it. But, uh, but that was my, big takeaway from it was ESPN once again after the Robert Lee thing sort of to me coming out not looking strong on either side uh, in, a, in an attempt to sort of balance and look strong on one side and then go back and look strong on the other side comes out looking weak on both sides in the end uh, trying to play this isn't really an issue from to me to play to both parties or to play to both sides. There's really no two sides of, of the Donald Trump thing. Either you know what he is or you don't. Uh, and there's no real appeasing him uh, and then also appeasing the people who are against him. There's really, to me, not. there's no way that you can try to play both sides like that. So uh, it, it's a lot of noise. It's a lot of stuff, once again, being kicked up when you talk about anything having to do with Donald Trump. Uh, no matter what you say, it's going to be a, a firestorm if you uh, are somebody of some sort of fame. And so I guess I would agree with ESPN that Jamel Hill should be more careful about what she tweets and what she says, just because the whole thing is inflammatory right now. But it's not like she said anything wrong. And I think everybody knows that. So, so, so that was my take on it. Yeah, I think she put ESPN in an almost no-win situation. And for that, I think that they should be really upset because you, you look at ESPN, they are already hemorrhaging viewers. They're hemorrhaging subscribers to their website. They've fired 200 employees and they're expected to fire another 100 here soon. It hasn't been going well for ESPN. So the last thing that you want is negative publicity, you know, because you know, bashing on Donald Trump is sort of the low-hanging fruit of the Twitterverse now or Facebook. And, and and what you end up with is you make a lot of people mad on one side because there are people that supported him and voted for him. And, you know, you've got half the country or at least half the voting public that voted for him. And then you've got half that didn't. It's still this sort of us versus them mentality and people just haven't gotten over the election. Although I do think it's stupid that when you point out something like uh, saying that people, he's only president because he's white. He beat a white person. Oh, wait, but let's forget about that. 
nobody that ran for president this last time that I believe that you could vote for was not white. Or am I mistaken that all four of the presidential candidates on the ballot were white? So somebody was going to win that was white. And it's just sort of become very easy. I see it on Facebook. You see it on Twitter. What happens is there's, there's this, this, you've got this echo chamber going on. And the people who are all doing the Trump hating are just doing it to basically their pool of friends. So when she says something like that, it's not changing anyone's opinion who doesn't think that or doesn't believe that. You know, she's not going, "Aha, I'm," you know, "I," you know, "I don't follow," you know, Jamel Hill on on Twitter. I know you're probably not shocked by that, <laughs> but you know, I was aware of who she was back from when she was on, you know, uh, when she was on Around the Horn for a while. So I was aware of of who she was, and you know, and and of that. Where I always look a little deeper is what makes you just tweet that out. I, I, I'm that's what I'm wondering is like she, she it feels calculated. It didn't seem like it sprung up from like a Twitter fight, like where she was in a Twitter fight with somebody else and they were going back and forth. She literally just sat down and decided, I'm just gonna go ahead and tweet this out. And it feels like you like you know what's going to happen. So you don't know if it's like, hey, stir up a little controversy, you know, get get some get some people, you know, get some more follows, get some more eyeballs on our show. I haven't really watched that 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 Sports Center that that SC six show. It has. Do you watch it? Because it hasn't really done anything for me when I've watched it. I, I have, and I sort of enjoy it. It's not, you know. It's not appointment viewing for me, but really, none no sports center is these days. But yeah, I've I've watched right. it. It's she and Michael Smith are tr- are trying hard. I'll I'll say that. Yeah, yeah. I'll definitely give them an A for effort, but it's almost like you can tell that they're that they're trying too hard. And I I don't know what ESPN's business model is because it seems like all they're doing when you've watched like the Around the Horns or the PTI show and they're pulling in all of the journalists to come in on these shows, it seems like that that's sort of become the feeder into their network and that's where you're seeing all a lot of these these feel like you know like michael smith and levitard and all these people who they sort of fed in through these shows who were sports journalists not necessarily tv personalities and now they took the their their flagship you know 6 p.m slot sports center and they've turned that into basically a a show that they fed in from the sports journalist shows and it, it's just another version of you know your your first in pizza like you always used to call it and that I, and and everything has now become you know and we've talked about it you, you can't just watch sports center you can't watch these shows anymore and just it's like watching the news you can't watch the news and just get the news you can't watch sports center and get sports scores anymore you've got to get human interest stuff and and, and the the deeper meaning of everything where you know, I like my sports as sports. That's why I don't watch a lot of the pregame stuff. That's why I did, I don't get wrapped up in that. I want to watch my sports. <laughs> That's what I want to watch. You know, you work all week. You deal with stuff. You deal. You got the stress of your life. You know, the, the, you, you don't want that all of a sudden in your sports. That's where I kind of fall down on that. Because there's enough, there's enough time for that. There, there, there's, there's a time and a place for all of that. So, yeah, it's easy for you to say, oh, yeah, it's okay that she did it, because, of course, it's all true. 
that's great, but that only resonates with the like-minded people in in that in your sphere of influence. That that's everything. That's part of the reason. This is sort of that ugly truth. This is part of the reason why Trump is president, because all of the people that hated him were only impressing each other. And so many people were convinced that Hillary is going to be president that a lot of the people who just hated Trump didn't bother to vote. And voter turnout was down, and therefore you get Trump the president. It wasn't because it was Nazis voting for Trump. You know, it was it was proven in the statistics that less people voted than voted the last time and that voter turnout was low. And typically when voter turnout is low, that generally favors the Republicans, who was the most motivated. And it wasn't the Democrats. I, I don't know why. If all these people hated Trump so vehemently, they didn't go vote for him. So I don't know what her point was. That Does that make sense? Because um, because anybody, because it's just the same thing over and over and over again. Trump's a white supremacist, blah, blah, blah. It's just, nobody backs it up with anything. But whether it's true or not, nobody goes, he is this because. You know, and everybody has sort of become the phone warrior and the keyboard warrior. You know, and it's, like I said, it's the low-hanging fruit. She, It's really easy for her to get a whole lot more follows or likes from people who are like-minded by saying something like that and generating buzz for herself. But at the same time, from ESPN's standpoint, they're mad because they're already hurting as a, as a business, and it's going to isolate more. You know, so there are people out there who, like, support Trump and like Trump. Do you think a lot of them are t- tuning in to watch that show? I don't uh, think so. Absolutely not. <laughs> no. So from a business standpoint, what she did was phenomenally stupid. Um, I know we've seen now again, though, because bashing Trump is cool. I can guarantee you we've seen Tony Kornheiser sub, uh, suspended 20 or 30 times for substantially <laughs> less. If if somebody uh... had if somebody had taken to Twitter to say, like, if, if somebody who was a host on ESPN who was white, like let's say Scott Van Pelt, uh, went on to Twitter and say that Barack Obama is a racist, you know, Black Panther, I think he would have been suspended. I'm just saying. And that's where I have a problem with the whole conversation is what's one what's good for one side is good because it's cool. But when you take the statements that are being made and you flip the race or you flip the context to somebody else, you know, suddenly it's all, oh, no, 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 that's not cool. That is racism. Right there. You know, people who complain about racism complain about a lack of equality. If you want to be equal, be prepared for the opposite to be true. And that's sort of where we've become. It's cool for one side to say something bad. You know, it's cool for people to talk about, you know, all the, the, the evil white people. But if you do it the other way, you're a racist. Well, that's, you know, where we definitely diverge because it's really difficult to, you know, have a debate with somebody who looks at the things that Trump says and does and decides that he's, that that's not what white supremacists do because short of using the N word and putting on a hood, I don't know what else he could do to prove that he's obviously a racist and a, and a white supremacist. So for people who don't believe that or don't want to believe that, well, I guess we can't really talk about it because there's nothing to talk about because you just don't want to believe it. So there's nothing that uh, that can be that can go forward for that. Uh, 
But yeah, that's the problem. Uh, that is why Trump got elected president. I'll agree with you there. It's because of the, the people that uh, did not think that he had any chance because of the things, because of the fact that uh, he says things and does things that, that racist and white supremacists do. And they didn't think America would elect somebody like that. And they, they misjudged America greatly in that respect, uh, unfortunately. Uh, so that's where a lot of our uh, our differences in in America lie right now is with people who uh, think that calling a, a racist a racist is somehow racist, which is about the craziest thing I can think of. Uh, and, and people that talk about the other side, and uh, if you would call Obama a, a racist, how terrible that would be. Well, here's the thing. If Obama did racist things, then he should be called a racist. But he didn't, and Trump does, and that's the difference. And the people that don't believe that, there's nothing I can really say to them. Okay. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of that out there, uh, especially with, with this situation. And the, for the White House to come back and sort of make it official that we believe that she should lose her job for saying something like that. Well, I wouldn't expect them to say anything else because that's been their whole MO is to deny all the things that he's doing and all the things that he said and then just say, well, the people are just mad at him because they just want to be mad. Well, no, sure. they're mad because of the things that he says and does. It's not like they make it up. Uh, there's a litany of things that he has said and done that absolutely back up what what's being said but you know when you when you want to just ignore that and just let it go and and pretend that there's nothing going on la 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 everything's fine then this is what you're going to get sure and, and again though you know and i like i said i try to look at both sides of it the problem is is you know i consider myself fairly in the middle and when you're dealing with an extreme slant to one side or the other you look extreme you know, I try to weigh both sides, but unfortunately, by weighing both sides, that means I'm not all, you know, I'm not all in for Jamel Hill and I'm not all in for Donald Trump. You know, and that's that's the 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 the, the people who try to think independently is is the is the is the danger to America, because the whole point of everything that's going on is to take you is to divide people farther apart. They want people to move farther to the left and farther to the right so that everybody hates each other for no reason. I mean, cause for, for completely, you know, I hate to say it, but trumped up reasons and everybody gets to just delve into their hate. I hate you. You hate me. Left hates right. Right hates left. You're black. I'm white. Someone's, you know, I'm Puerto Rican. I'm Asian. Everybody just says hate everybody else. That's a creation. That's not what's I think truly in the hearts of people when you truly boil it down. You see a lot of that, like what's going on in Florida or in Houston, where all you, hey, you know what you see? For a lot of the time, you're seeing all these people they're banding together. After 9/11, people in New York mostly banded together. It's a safer city now than it was before 9/11 because of the shared sort of trauma that everybody went through. I think when you boil it down, people are going to be people, and the percentages of people that are truly Nazis or racists, one side or the other, are, are, are extremely small. I think that the, the 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 phone and social media and Facebook and Twitter have have amplified those voices, but I don't think that people are more inherently racist or more inherently evil than they were before. I think now it just shines a light 
more on it and somebody could retweet that like if somebody sends out a racist tweet that can now get retweeted like around the world and go aha look <laughs> you know and it becomes held up as the shining i think inherently people are not that way i would like to think that i can you know that, that there's still some like good in people i mean you know i mean or or that you know what what our country represents is still inherently meant to be good i think it's been been bastardized i don't think it's intent is necessarily what's in practice right now but you'd still like to think that you see the good in people and the good in things and are there, there there's definitely bad people don't get me wrong but i think that it's just it's becoming such a just such an amplified mess right now you know it, it it's just it you, it's it's hard to just pick up anything that has to do with social media or anything like that because like i said you're just you're seeing so much preaching to the choir and everybody just getting themselves into a fervor over things and then the exact same thing happening on the other side whether it's a race issue a political issue whatever you've got everyone it, it nothing is gray anymore everything has to truly be i you know i don't want it to sound racial but everything truly has to be black and white you know it's you're against me or you're my enemy it's either this or it's that and it, there, there's no there's no room for debate can't talk to people about this stuff there is no in between you know you know basically to the point where you know you when i you know you pick up at something and goes and you you get the person who will just send out the random facebook post that goes well there's no doubt about it if you voted for Trump, you're a racist, horrible, blah, 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 list, 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 list. It's like, okay, well, you, know, <laughs> you know, that which which then becomes 52 million people. Uh, thankfully, I didn't vote, you know. Wow. Neither did you. So we're, we're exempt, apparently. We stayed above the fray. But yeah, if you but even if you comment on it, even if you're willing to look at one side or the other, you can't have any of that. You cannot even the people who are in that echo chamber are completely unwilling for a minute to even consider the other side because the the, the viewpoint is always that the other side is 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 evil and racist. You know, the, you've got you, the, you know. Black, Donald Trump did not get zero black votes or zero Hispanic votes or, you know, zero minority votes. You know, he actually did better in every minority category than Mitt Romney did. And nobody's out there saying that Mitt Romney's a sexist, misogynist, racist, white supremacist Nazi. Did I miss anything? Mm. No, I think you got them all. I think you you got yeah. everything that Trump has proven that he okay. is with his words and actions if, over the if, last two if, years. If that's what he is, how did he get more votes out of the minority community than the guy who wasn't those five things or more? That that that's the thing, and so the the nobody is willing to fathom. Now, again, if 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 Trump got the same percentage of the minority vote that Mitt Romney got, Hillary Clinton would be the president. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I can't explain anything about the small percentage of minority votes that yeah. went more to Trump than to Romney. I don't know what that proves. Yeah, I think uh, it was eight percent. I think it was eight percent black. Twenty. It was in the twenties for the Latino. Again, 
he got a higher percentage of the Latino vote, even though all he did apparently was was denigrate the Latinos. Remember? Um, yes, I remember very well. Yeah. So, you know, what would what would you say to those people? They're not racist. <laughs> I don't know what those people are. I have no idea. Right. So that, but that's but that's the whole the whole the whole point where everything has to be that this this polarizing thing. And and life, I, I think we've you know we're we're both old enough to know that life is more than just you can't just boil all of life and all of life experience down to you're this or you're that. Either you are, or you're not. If you did this, if you voted for Trump, then you are just this. <laughs> and I think you know that there's a fallacy in that. Uh, yeah, but I don't. I try to stay away from that, but at the same time, it is really head scratching to wonder why any right thinking person would vote for somebody like that. Yeah, but well, we talked about we, we talked, yeah, we about, talked about it during so the much. election that we were right. We talked about this during the run up to the election that it, I, I'll go on record to saying the reason that Donald Trump won is because he ran against possibly the worst possible person who could have been president. And, and 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 this is and this is the failing right now of the Democratic Party is that you think about 2020, and if they don't get their shit together, you're not gonna you're gonna have Donald Trump till till 2024 if the Democratic Party cannot put together a cohesive message other than Trump's a racist, Trump is evil. Because what happens is when that is your message, you embolden the other side even more. You you actually create stronger support when you have no message and for the last eight nine months now since trump has been president the only opposition to trump has been name calling name calling is not going to win the white house for the democrats in 2020 and i don't we don't get into the whole you know numbers of it all and all of that with the politics but you're racist yeah 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 isn't going to go over very well on the debate stage you know, or, or name calling. It's it's gonna have to be something, especially against an incumbent president. It's not easy to you know to knock off an incumbent president to begin with, and to turn a president into a one-term president. Usually, you've got to come in, you know, with something with something fresh. And so, you know, we had it with when 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 Bush Senior lost to Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton came in. He was he was a fresh face. Not a lot of people knew who he was. You know, he was he, he was uh, eloquent. He had, you know, he's like Obama did. You know, he he came yep. in and he, you know, and the Democrats don't have anybody like that right now. Because if they try to try out Hillary Clinton again, we are going to get a repeat. Oh, they're not, they're never doing that again. Um, no. Did you know that uh, that they they've actually they went through her book that she just released and found that she has, she actually they went through the book and counted that she blamed 40 different reasons for why she lost, but not once said that it was her fault why she lost the presidency. 41! That, that sounds like that's how, you makes sense. that's how you lose. And I, that's the whole problem. Is that, that's why I wasn't always in this, oh, just anti-Trump camp, because I was just anti, as anti-Clinton as I was anti-Trump. No, I don't know what the Democrats are supposed to do when they shine a light on who Trump is every day by his own words and actions, and everyone just says, uh, nah, I'm I'm okay with it. I'm fine with that. So that, I, I don't know if there's any way to overcome that. If the, if the country is really that far down the rabbit hole that they're going to look at everything he says and does and says, okay, fine, that's that's fine, make America great again. 
uh, what can you do against that? Um, I don't know which way they're supposed to go from there. Right. So you boil that back down to Jamal Hill, and that's why my initial question is, what was the intent? Was she just so overcome with she just had to say it? Or I could... I can see that. I can I can see, you know, if it was like right after the, the DACA decision, you're one of many other yeah. things that he's done to try to uh, stamp down anyone that's not male and white uh, that might have just set her off. There's there's any number of things that could have set her off on a daily basis. I could see something like that happening. Okay. Well, then, again, though, the original, whether or not you agree with the spirit of, of of DACA or not, the way that it was implemented was unconstitutional, which is true. And in the, in, in the context, the whole idea of what Trump said, and I'm not apologizing for Trump, but what we said was we're going to suspend Ooh. this until Congress can send me a bill and we can make this legal. That's all he said. That That's what actually happened. Look it up. Okay. That's what happened. But that's not what filters down to most people. What filters down is, oh, look at what he did. Twitter, Twitter, Facebook, Facebook. He's evil. No, I actually watch the news and, and read the news. And when you read the actual news that's not HuffPost, you know, or CNN, when you actually read what happened is just fact, which is very hard to find, but it is out there. Occasionally you can find just actual news. The whole context of it was we are suspending this for six months. It's not We're not going to do anything for six months. We are going to roll it back in six months. But in that six months, I want Congress to send me the bill to make this legal because it was originally, you know, it was legislated executive order. But I'm not a big fan of executive orders to begin with. You know, that, you know, the Congress is supposed to run the government, not the president. Um, but again, this is what's happened with it. You know, after 9-11, we got this with Bush. We got this with Obama. We get this with Trump. It's just, you know, legislation through a pen. And, you know, that's not what this country is supposed to be all about. You know, we, we, they don't, you know, they don't even teach that much in school anymore when you talk about checks and balances and, you know, legislative, executive, and judicial. You don't even hear about that anymore. It, it's hard to remember. We have to take our constitution test and go through all that, branches of government and all that. You know, so people aren't going to be taught that anymore because it's being rendered meaningless. So look it up. But that's what was said, and that's what happened, and that's why last week you have the big hubbub about, you know, which I didn't have a problem with, but you've got all these Republicans all up in the tizzy because Trump met with the Democratic leadership to try to get something going as a legal replacement for, for DACA. And they're trying to, whether it's amnesty or something else, so th there's work that's happening on this, and of course it gets all the Republicans mad. Because they're like, oh, immigration. It's like, ah. And once again, Trump Trump says, I want a border wall. He's a horrible racist. Trump, re Trump reaches across the aisle to try to get something done. He's a horrible idiot because he's betraying his base. He just can't win. <laughs> I don't know why anybody would want to be president to begin with. All right. That point we can both agree on. There's no way in hell I'd ever want to be president of the United States. No, because it doesn't no, matter what no you do. You're going to make somebody mad. You're going to you're going to piss somebody off. But no, when when I when I when I see all the phone when I see my phone lighting up about this whole DACA thing, I'm like, okay, <clears throat> everything. Excuse me, everything is inflammatory at the beginning. If he just 
at the stroke of a pen said, you know what, we're sending 800,000 people home, that would be, that'd be tough. I'm like, whoa, okay, especially if it's people who were brought here either as children or illegals, you know, well, if the legal has, you know, even if an illegal comes over the border and has a child in the States, they're a citizen, that's the law. So we're talking about people who were brought over as small children, you know, and as, as they say, they're here through no fault of their own. So I started doing this, started looking into it, like, okay, what's this all about? And so it turns out that this is what I kind of summed up was what it was. And it didn't seem as bad to me. Now, if there's no replacement and the six months goes by and, you know, and they decide they're just going to kick everybody out, which I just don't see happening. Um, you know, you cross that, but all of a sudden, if it's, you know, two months from now and Congress puts together puts together a bill and they send the bill through and then they find a way to either pathway the legalization or amnesty or they do whatever then all of a sudden it's like okay what what was the big deal so that one i'm still the the jury is out on i guess the way me and, and a lot of other people who think like me feel is every little thing that he that trump says and does that is leading down the road of he sure it seems like he's going to one day do the stroke of a pen and send 800,000 people uh, over the border, even people who weren't born in Mexico, sending them back, what quote unquote, home to Mexico. It, I don't think we should be waiting until the day he does that to go, oh, well, that's too bad. I can't believe he did something. When he's leading up to things like that, it should be called out and it should be talked about and it should be discussed. And I don't think we should be waiting until he, you know, like I said, dons the the, the white hood and, and starts throwing out the, the N-word just to finally officially declare that he's a bad person and, and, a, and a racist and doing all these things uh, to that does nothing but, but benefit the, the, the white race, because that's what he's doing now. And, and I don't I don't think we should be waiting for him to do something so explicit that everyone says, oh, well, that's it right there. And people are so in the bag for him that even if he did something that explicit, they'd still find a way to justify it and excuse it. So it doesn't matter anyway. It, well, it boy, really I tell doesn't you, matter what he does. I'm still waiting for those benefits. They can start rolling in any time. Of, of being a white person? Oh, they have. You just haven't noticed it, but they have. Oh, well, it's nice to know that's the most racist thing you've ever said to me in the 35 years I've known you. <laughs> I mean, I well, no, see, but that's the thing is like, it's just, it's just always there. I, I didn't know you had such contempt for me. No, I have no contempt for you at all, but well, that's what there you go. You see what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, I, I haven't, I didn't receive the decoder pin or the, or the membership, you know, into the, into the, into the white club or anything like that. I mean, uh, yeah, it's it's crazy. Any debate or any talk like this it eventually gets down to stuff like that. It just, it's not personal. It's not supposed to be personal, but everyone takes it personal, and then it, it gets crazy. And then next thing you know, people are are driving into uh, crowds of people in protest and whatnot. It's 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 a really bad state right now that we're in as far as trying to have oh, yeah, open dialogue I mean, about stuff. Well, no, I mean, I'm reading, I'm reading stuff on Facebook where people are putting out there. It's like, well, you know, you, you can't have peaceful protests. We need to start getting violent. I'm like, hmm, really? Okay. 
that's interesting. I mean, it's an incitement to violence, but well, that's what it's going to take. <laughs> oh, Christ. That's why I just, you know, there are benefits to living in the middle of nowhere. I will tell yeah, you, you that. Ignore a lot of stuff. <laughs> when the shit hits the fan, well, yeah, I mean, well, when the shit hits the fan, there, there are big benefits to living in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> because you can just feel that it's it's going to get ugly, you know. It's it just it's just not pretty what's going on out there right now. It, 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 like I said, though, I do feel like a lot of it is is a creation. I think a lot of it is manufactured through the media, through a lot of stuff. You know, the, the, it it. I don't know how it got this bad because oh, I certainly have a few thoughts. <laughs> well, yeah, but you don't. You, there's not one thing. There's just this, this this constant stream of there's this constant stream of stuff. I will tell you, just you know, from our conversations, I don't point it out a lot, but there's a lot of bad information out there. I think people deal from a lot of bad information or what they want to hear, and then you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of cherry picking of of content, I think, and there's not a, there aren't enough people out there looking at the big picture because there's just there's just not a lot of free thinkers left anymore. It's really just you either you're either you know you think that things everything is terrible and everything is racist and the, and the world's out to get you, or you're on the other side and you're just a mouth breathing NASCAR fan. I, I think that's think that's what they've tried to boil the whole United States down to. There's not a lot of people out there actually digging deeper for information. Well, I, I still think a lot of us are trying. I really do. It's, it's not easy, but I think a lot of us are, are still trying to, to see things the way they are and not the way that one side of the media or the other wants us to see it. Yeah, yeah that's what, that's, again, though, it boils all down to the Jamel Hill thing. Who was her audience? What, what was the audience? What was the intent? What was the audience? What was the, I think that it was calculated. And I know that sounds cynical, but I don't think it was from the heart. <laughs> and I, you know, I think anything that a media personality or a, you know, figure, a personality figure does through Twitter or through any of that stuff, I always look at it as being somewhat calculated. Nobody does this without thinking about it. And I don't even mean she just had this, this fit of passion and it just filled her heart. And she had so much that she had to get off, you know, that I, I truly feel like it was, you know, it's, it's brand building, I think more than anything else. I know that sounds cynical, but it feels that way. Uh, it can be multiple things. I'll, I guess I'll concede that to you. That I think she can certainly feel the way she felt and she can look ahead to sort of fortifying the people that are, are right. already following her and saying, hey, I'm, I'm with you guys. I see what's happening just like you do and, and I'm right there with you. Right. So, yeah, there, there's, see, there's something to that. Just the fact that we can have a 45-minute conversation about this. We don't hate each other. I mean, you're like, you know, you're, you're my brother, basically. Um, of course. Which, you know... And, and right, you know, you my, you know, my 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 mom pretty much calls you son. So, you know, when you people don't know that, but that's, that's pretty much how it is. So, we talk a lot more openly about. We've always we've always talked very openly about this kind of stuff. So that when people listen to this and like, wow, how are they saying this to each other? It's like, no, we've been doing this for a long time. You know, it doesn't. Right. 
it doesn't, you know, that's why when I ask you questions like I do, you know, it's not like from a serious, serious place. Like, I know you don't hate me. (laughs) If you hated me, you could have killed me while I was sleeping on your couch. (laughs) I tried to kill you. I turned the gas up in the house and tried to kill kill everybody. I'm going to get this. I'm going to take this cracker with me. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) You know. There need to be more people that can have that conversation. The fact that you and I can have this conversation is a sign of progress that does because the fact that you and I can openly debate this and you can actually say the words, you're you're right about that, or I see your point about that, is a conversation that a lot of those people on Facebook and Twitter are unable to have. And I think you agree that there are white people on on those places who are in their little white nationalist groups and all that who would be completely unwilling to have this conversation with you. And that there are black people who would be completely unwilling to have this conversation with me because I'm just, I'm the white devil. Yeah. And, and there's the going back to uh, trying to preach to your audience or, or go to your base. There's not really room to look at the other side. If, if you're trying to impress your, your, the people that follow you or the people who think like you, there's no, uh, there's no benefit to somebody who's an avowed, racist or, or white supremacist come out and it's saying, you know, maybe Trump does say some things that are kind of offensive and not so nice. They're never going to say that. They're never going to have that discussion because all their friends are going to be like, what are you talking about? He's awesome. He's great. Uh, right. and, and on the other side, there's, there's no, uh, for people who sort of think like me, there's not too much benefit to come out and saying, you know, if, if Trump does make a, a, a point or have something of value to say uh it's not really something that i'm running to facebook to try to talk about because there's so right, much you don't want to objectionable that he's done right. That I, right, that there's so much that he's done that i don't even want to give him the credit for anything that he does do correctly so uh, it, it's hard it, it's hard to keep a, an eye out for the good and and for the right things uh in when when you know that there's so much wrong that's been done but Nobody, I don't know, I don't know if anyone's 100% bad, and I don't know if anyone's 100% good, and I, I think the closer we get to accepting that, the closer we can get to actually being really honest with each other, which is really, nothing's going to change unless we start actually being completely honest with each other. Yeah, I mean, no one's a saint. You know, no one's, no one's perfect. Everyone has, everyone has flaws and vices and you know, and, and things that are just, you know, no, no, but, you know, but that's, that's sort of what the, that's sort of what the acceptance and all of that is all about, you know, no, nobody's just truly 100% perfect and nobody I don't believe is just truly 100% awful, you know, not, I, mean, I can't say that there haven't been people throughout history that would fit that description, but I think most people fall somewhere in the middle and the middle is what's being wiped out. The, the people who are willing to have the conversation that you and I are having are just, they're just not, they're going away. They're becoming less because they're all being whipped up into this frenzy, you know, and I look at it a lot and I just shake my head because I'm like, Oh, you know, here we go again. You know, you know, there, there, there's, there's just, there's no room for, there's no growth if there's no, real discussion and real conversation There's, there will not be growth it'll just be hate well i would love to and i'm, I'm trying not to sound like i'm pandering i would love to have a, a real conversation with people who 
think like me or think like you or think like some combination of the two. Um, and, and because we don't, you know, we're, we're doing these, we're having these conversations on our podcast with each other. Cause yeah. we'd be talking to each other anyway about, yeah, we'd be doing this anyways. But if the benefit of doing a podcast is to communicate with other people and get other opinions, I'd love for uh, other people listening to this to chime in with their side and, and what they think is going on uh, and, and how they see things. Uh, yeah. And and I've given out already the way to communicate with us, but I'll do it again at this point. If you've listened this far, then maybe you want to uh, chat with us and tell us what's on your yeah. mind in a respectful way, of course. Uh, our email is in much less detail at gmail.com. Jason's Twitter is at IMLDJTG. My Twitter is at IMLDDRE, I-M-L-D-D-R-E. And I really do want to hear from people who have intelligent, actual thoughts about society in general, maybe this issue yeah. in particular or what have you. I, I really want to hear what other people are saying because uh, like Jason's saying, a lot of us get caught in our sort of wind tunnels and get feedback from nothing more than the people who think just like us. And it's, it's easy to get lost in that, but uh, send us your thoughts uh, of the other side, so to speak, and, and yeah. tell us how you see it. Yeah, we're not looking for, you know, F-U-N-word or you know, shut yeah. up Nazi. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> yeah, there's a place it's for that. There's, there's, yeah, there's a there's, that's out there. There's, that's out yeah, there right now. <laughs> I, I, trust me, I can pick up my phone and probably find it in 30 seconds. There's totally a place for that. You know, that's yeah. not what we're that's not what we're looking for. That's not what we're advocating. You know, when, we, when you and I do this, we're we're talking as people who've been having conversations like this, and they've evolved. I mean, the you know, we weren't talking like this in grade school, or you know, it is the conversations evolved as we've grown up through our lives, and we've each had different experiences and. You know, you know, I, I'm in that position where, like I said, I try to, I, I always try to be looking at both sides. I try to be as much down the middle as I possibly can. Yeah, that makes you wishy-washy. Yeah, whatever you want to say. But yeah, unfortunately, that puts me in the position of to the person on the left, I do look like I'm, I'm basically the Nazi. And then to the person on the right, you know, I'm, who knows what I, am. I don't know what the word would be. <laughs> yeah, oh, I know. I yeah. know I'm not going to say it, but I know. <laughs> right, but you know what I'm saying. You know that that and and that's and that's and it's just it feels like you're almost at that point. And I I know I I talk to people all the time. I work with people. You see it. You see it everywhere. You 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 know just from the conversations that you're having with people where they stand on those issues. I generally don't get into those conversations when somebody, you know, starts, you know, spouting things that I don't like from either side. It, you know, or on Facebook, I see it. I see it from both sides. You know, we, I went, we, you and I went to high school. I went to high school with, with a lot of blacks, a lot of whites, and I've got friends that are from both. And both sides on the race issue can say just as much hateful stuff as the other. It's not, hate is not uh, taken over by any one race. I'll just say that. <laughs> My Facebook feed is plenty of proof of that. But I try, I stay out of it. I that, I just stay out of that part. Yeah. Well, back to football. We're getting up on midnight central time, and I'm going to get our picks on the blog where football Sunday is upon us officially in two minutes, although the games won't be played for yeah. another 12 hours. Uh, but our blog, inmuchlessdetail.blogspot.com, is where you will find 